0: welcome to the NPO media podcast this show features interviews stories and creative content by individuals living with mental illness my name is Pete Schiffman and I believe that showcasing creativity and resilience provides hope reduces stigma and lets others know that there's so much more to a person than just a diagnosis The NPO Media Podcast is inspired by the dedicated volunteers at NAMI New York City, Staten Island, who work tirelessly to provide support, education, and advocacy. Their website is namistatenisland.org. Finally, opinions expressed in this podcast by individuals are their own. For this, the second episode of the podcast, I met with Kenneth Cebalska, Ken has spent many, many years supporting others, helping folks find help and find hope. Ken is a NAMI Connections facilitator, as well as a NAMI In Our Own Voice presenter. Additionally, Ken is being honored this year at the NAMI New York City Staten Island Awards Celebration on November 3rd. For more information about that, check the website namistatenisland.org. I asked Ken to discuss his personal and family background, early perspectives, finding help, developing trust, and his involvement with NAMI, and his efforts. The format is mostly a monologue style, so given the list of questions, I let Ken take it from there.
1: My name is Ken Sibolska. Uh, I do live with a diagnosis of mental illness, uh, Schizoaffective Disorder. I have got my diagnosis about 20 years ago. I've been in therapy with the same therapist about 37 or 39 years, I think. And uh, you know, we worked out some knotty problems over the years. I got the diagnosis in the time of a crisis, and my insurance company actually forced the issue. They wanted to try to ban me from taking any more therapy because they said, look, you've been in therapy 20 years. You should be clean by now. You should be clear. And I had to have the psychiatrist go back and forth with them and fight them, and then they won. And then we had to appeal, and then we won the appeal. So, you know, with an outside auditor. So, so they've left me alone ever since. About my personal history, I was a knotted up little kid. Even you know, right up to being a teenager, I was still pretty twisted. I think that in my case, it's like growing up with people having a severe conviction that I couldn't trust anybody around me, with the fact that I felt so bad. I think it, it was a big leap of faith for me. It was just a confluence of influences. My mother happened to be in therapy at the time. I had a girlfriend that was in therapy at the time, and my girlfriend was like, "Look, if you really feel this bad, you should, you know, you should maybe speak to somebody who can who can listen to you." It was a big leap of faith for me to go to a therapist and actually, or go to an organization. I, I started going to therapy from the Catholic Charities, and that lasted a year. and he, he said, "This is not a permanent situation." He referred me to this place called the Institute for Mental Health Practitioners. Then I spoke to somebody and I opened up, I just told them it was like a confessional, you know, I just spilled out all this, all this horrible stuff. And they hooked me up with a therapist and I stayed with that therapist ever since. But it's, I, all I can say is that, you know, trust that there are people out there that will, that do want to help you, that can help you, that have skills and that, that, are, that are sympathetic. And I remember that even, like, uh, I had asked this, uh, one of one of my high school teachers about this, I went to City High School, he was like, when he found out that I had contacted somebody he put me in touch with about therapy, he was like, look, you're going to be okay, you're going to be okay, everything's going to be all right. And it was like, I mean, I, I was receptive, but it still hurt, because it's like, it was like, an. I felt that there was something wrong with me, that I was responsible for the fact that I felt like this, like... I think that that was part of the whole syndrome of, of being you know being in a lot of pain and, and being mentally ill, especially as a young person, is that um, you kind of feel that you have no perspective on the situation, so you kind of feel responsible for the fact that you feel so awful. And, and I spent so many years in that state, oh, God, even with the therapy, it took me a long time to get to the point that, I mean, the ther- I always felt better leaving my therapist's office. That's all I can say. I mean, like I said, the medication and the therapy is working for me all I could say is to a young person, even a very young person, trust there are people out there that that can and will help you you you, you don't have to carry this by yourself this weight you know you can work miracles if if you take that leap and 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 trust and break down and trust someone with your with your innermost secrets and I remember talking to a friend of mine I haven't seen him in like twenty or thirty years, and he was like, Your therapist knows all about you I said she knows every every inch of me inside and out, and like that's that's what you have to do. Like going to therapy is a question of learning to trust another person. And when you learn to trust another person, you learn to trust yourself. So that that's also part of the miracle of what happens in therapy. And that you can I know that at this point, you know, look, I've been in therapy a long time and and I know that if something is going wrong in a social situation, I can usually gauge who is at fault. My social skills have been advanced to the point now where I've got a good handle on what's going on. If something is going wrong, I have a lot of skill in terms of you know being able to uh, ameliorate the situation. and one of the other things also is like i've I've learned, and it took me a long time to learn this, how to how to identify toxic people and how to back away from them and and just keep them at arm's length. you know, like it, it took me a long time, for the longest time, even as a teenager, I, I hung out with some crazy people. And like one of the other observations that I've made, that it's actually come to my attention in other ways but one of the observations that i've made is that the reason why crazy people hang out together is because they're too crazy in their own heads to realize that people around them are even crazier than they are and so and people that are healthy would see this and back away from it so that's why they wind up in each other's company so like i've gotten to the point where i'm healthy enough to be able to back away from toxic people and toxic situations so that's another let's say uh added advantage or you know, you know like a an, uh, an extra perk to accomplishing some level of mental health is being able to spot toxic situations and toxic people and and distance yourself from them and know how to handle them and keep them, like somebody said, feed them with a long-handled spoon, you know? Well, uh, let me just say that I am a fairly high-functioning person living with a mental illness. Uh, I have a house. I got cars. I got a family. Uh, I got a job. And, you know, I mean, I've been pretty lucky and pretty blessed to have all these things. Uh, like my therapist said, you know, basically from the f- my family of origin was a pretty, uh, uh, like my therapist has indicated as being like the outer limits of dysfunction, which it was. And I have very very little or no contact with my siblings. And, you know, we were just like a shattered fragments of glass. And, you know, there was no hope in this situation. I, gr- I grew up in a very, very dysfunctional family. I, uh, it took many, many years. And with talking to my therapist, and also when I compared notes with my sister, finally, we realized that our mother had a... She was a paranoid schizophrenic. You know, She had you know, manic episodes all over the place, and we were kind of uh, ostracized in the community. I had no friends when I was a little kid, and that exacerbated my mental illness. You know, and All I really wanted, even at that time, was to just uh, have peace of mind. I mean, I, I just felt so awful all the time. I remember one time I, I felt so bad, I actually had to sit down. I was just so plagued with trouble in my head. So it really got no support. I really had to take care of myself as a kid, and I think... To To be able to provide myself and my family, I've been able to do that only because I grew up having, like my therapist is having to take care of myself, having to, I almost raised myself as a kid. I'm 57 years old. I was 17 when I got into therapy and I was 17 when I moved out of my parents' house and I never moved back. I had to take care of myself and get jobs and stuff. I smoked marijuana. I took some LSD. I mean, I did, I did a whole bunch of things. I was just trying to find some way to feel comfortable in my own skin. And really, I, at the time that I went to my therapist initially, I was, like, begging her to give me something to make me feel better. And she just she just said that, you know, she wouldn't do it. And I, I know that at the, the present time now, the treatment modalities have changed where they do give people medications right away while they're in therapy. I mean, I know that if I, I'm on a very good uh, cocktail of drugs, that works very well for me. And I... Even though uh, my insurance company is constantly trying to chip away at that with my with the psychiatrist that I go to, they trying to say, "Well, he shouldn't be on so many medications." Or we're trying to reduce the amount of money that they have to spend. I, I tell them, "Fight them because this is working for me, and I, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to change this because everything, you know, my life is in pretty good working order, so leave it alone." I actually managed to get married. Uh, I got an education. And I realized, like one of the first jobs that I had, I saw other young people. Well, going to college part-time. and Then I, I kind of realized, I mean, nobody ever told me this. My family of ours never, I mean, it was, they were just so wrapped up in their own heads that they left me alone. So I kind of had to figure out to go to college on my own, which I started doing. I was really lucky that they had the open enrollment, and I was able to start going to college at a, um, at a community college, Kingsborough in Brooklyn, where I, where I was living. And I held a variety of jobs. I mean, I had a very hard time holding down jobs because I was so hostile and aggressive and neurotic and, and sick. And, uh, you know, it was very tough for me. And, you know, I mean, I wound up doing things. I mean, I wasn't exactly, the kinds of jobs that I had wasn't exactly self-actualizing, let's put it that way. But I had to put a roof over my head, and I never really had much money to do anything other than do that. But at least I survived, and I went to college, and I, you know, I got a, I finally got a bachelor's degree, and I got two associate degrees. So, you know, I managed to parlay all this into, into something substantial. And I ha- I have, I'll have, i tell you, I, that I think was one of the best things that have happened to me, getting an education. Has really kind of allowed me to advance my life and advance my career to the extent that I can live like a normal middle class person. I don't know, you know. I mean, and there was really no choice for me anyway to do that. So the treatment modalities have changed and they give people medications now right away. Like I said, I think if I had been taking the medications now at that time, I would have made a lot better choices in life. Although, you know, I haven't really wound up too ba- doing too badly in life. I got a lot of blessings. I just wish that I had that available because I feel so much better now. And it's quieted my mind. I mean, um, I used to be plagued. One of the things of this diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder is that I used to be plagued with, like, these things that were gone, like I'd get involved in in these intrigues, like this one said this and how I said that and, like, always feeling. I mean, I was obsessed with, like, the crazy people in my life. And now that I'm taking these medications, I can kind of put that at arm's length and just say, you know, wherever you go, whatever situation you're going to be, there's going to be people like that and just – and I don't have to take up space in my head anymore, so – you know, that, that's been, like, the benefit to me of the medication and all the therapy. And also, like, it took me a long time to come to grips with the fact that I'm going to need medication for the rest of my life. Because years ago, when I was first in therapy for about the first 10 years, all I thought was just if I had enough therapy, then I would, ha- and then I could stop going to therapy and everything would be all right. I mean, I, it didn't occur to me at that time that I would need this as a, a permanent, you know, a living condition in my life. But it, it works for me. I mean, it gives me—she gives me very good— you know uh, feedback enlarges my view of what's going on so it's been very helpful and you know I mean it's been very helpful I don't know what I would have done without it I mean I, it's like my family of origin never had it so these people are really off there, uh, you know way out there and, and um, unfortunately uh, I mean it's 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 sad but you know what can I do I mean I really don't have much of a family and some of my cousins have um and I know my on my mother's side of the family there's a lot of mental illness and my father's side of the family there's mental illness and I've actually managed to get in touch with cousins from uh, my mother's family. Uh, one lives upstate, one lives in California, and uh, we compare notes about our parents. It's very interesting, you know. Like the, the these are people that I managed to reach out to and kind of get some grasp of what it was like growing up with these, you know, um, people that that were that were suffering terribly with their mental with severe mental illness. Uh, I've been working for a city agency for the last almost thirty years. And I've been really, really lucky because, I mean, with the way the the hostile work environments that everybody's in today, where everybody feels very vulnerable and that they can get outsourced or whatever. I mean, every everybody under the sun is in that situation. It was very interesting. At the same time that my right after the insurance company lost this uh, this suit that they had against me, where they were trying to deny me benefits, one of them called me and she says, "Are you aware of this organization called NAMI?" I had never heard of them before, and I, it was it was just sort of a an epiphany and I, I contacted nami and i started going to their support group which was and it was great i mean to be in 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 a support group of other people who are living with a similar mental illness can be very cathartic and it really became almost like an augment augmented the therapy that i was getting because one of the things was you were getting a lot of support people could really relate to where you were coming from and also compare notes together about um, their therapists about their medications and they could give each other advice and it was very helpful and then I decided to get um, to go for the training myself to lead these meetings, the peer-to-peer connection support meetings. When I went upstate, where they sent this, was f- completely uh, prepaid tra- transportation and everything, in the, and it was over a weekend. And one of the remarkable things to me was that um, to actually be training with people, like we. One of the things that they did in, in the training was that we had to speak about our mental illness and about our, our diagnosis. And actually, it was like it was really like. A very strong, powerful experience for me to actually be talking to people that I knew had the same diagnosis that I had, and we—I would like look at them like sideways, like wait a second, you know, like it was—it was just striking to to actually be in you know in, in, in an environment where the people with the same exact diagnosis were you know were working together on a mutual, uh, mutually beneficial you know project together to get this training, and it was the same thing when I went for the training for in our own voice. I decided to do that a year or two later. Because I've really gotten i I'm not ashamed of, of living with this with this situation. I mean, most of the people that I have known in my workplace have kind of recognized that I was, I've been called eccentric. Maybe people didn't know the extent of what, where that was coming from, but I think I, when I, before I got the medication, I think I did a lot of things that were very puzzling to people in the workplace and my environment, you know, where I lived. So getting back to NAMI, um, I did this in our own voice training. And I have been really, I mean, to me, uh, talking about myself is the easiest thing in the world to do. I and mean, nobody knows me better than me, and it's very easy for me to do. I'm delighted. I mean, actually, one of the first times that I did it, I was almost moved to tears that there were actually people who were really interested in what was going on in my head, you know. Like, it was like, uh, for the most part, I felt like uh, like kicked aside. But, you know, to actually have people really curious, tell me about yourself and what it's like to live with a mental illness, was like, really, that was also another very powerful. And it's something that I get, I get, it gives me a real a sense of satisfaction, to be able to give back to the community in that way. I mean, I know that from all from all the horrible stuff I was a horrible kid growing up because I was like a little rat boy, you know, with, a, with, a, with have, not having any kind of having no social skills, not not being taught any social skills. My parents were totally isolated. It was and my my brother and sister we were like a bunch of gargoyles living in this terrible environment. Kind of coming from a place like that has given me a strong Feeling that I want to give back to the community, and the, and the most sincere way that I could do that is to give this support to other people living with a mental illness. I actually have an internet project, and the people that work with me on the internet project uh, all live with a uh, with a, um, a disability. So I'm, I'm, and I seek out people in that situation because you know, I want to you know, I want to help people get jobs and help people get training to do things that will be helpful to them. I've, one of the things I've also done, in NAMI. I I, I encourage people to try to get work. I think that working is definitely like a, a way to get a sound footing. and you know like uh, instead of uh, having the frames of reference all over the place, be focused on getting something done and you feel good about yourself earning money. Actually, one of the things that happened to me in the workplace many, many years ago, I wound up becoming a headhunter for a year and a half, so I really learned the skills of how to design resumes. I've helped a couple of people get jobs and uh, done a lot of resumes for the people living in the mental health uh, community that I've been working with. Like I said, I I work with them. I'll try to help them to get jobs. It's tough, you know. Some some of the people feel they feel overwhelmed by this kind of thing. So I mean, that's I can't do anything about that. But yeah, you know, I can at least try to help them. I mean, there's actually an organization which is pretty good called I think it's called the National Telecommunications Institute NTI, and they what they do is they specialize in getting people with disabilities. Uh, jobs, for example, it talks about people that live with agoraphobia that are afraid to leave their homes. But if through NTI, they'll hook you up. If you have a computer at home, you can actually monitor areas using vid- video. Or you can man a uh, an eight hundred number for a company like Home Depot, whatever, and you, you could do that successfully, and they have people like assisting people over the phone to try to get things f- for American companies. American companies want to hire these workers and I think that they 've worked with a number of thousands and thousands of people getting them jobs like that, which is pretty cool and like this is something I also refer to people like there 's this organization in my community called uh, skylight, and i 've offered my services them i haven 't really heard from them about it, but um it's like more like a social organization. You could make food there. You can work in the library. You can do f- paperwork for them. You could socialize and play games. You could read books. It's It's got a lot of things. I've heard very good things about it. And I did reach out to them with all the resources that I was aware of in terms of getting jobs. Uh, a number a number of years ago, after the 2008 crash, the the Wall Street Journal was publishing a lot of articles about uh, job job finding. A lot of people were losing their jobs. There, there was a lot of heightened interest in how to get jobs and what to do. And I've turned all that information over to them as well as this information that I have about NTI. So I'm um, hoping that they'll you know, deploy that when they can. You know, and I've offered my services to do resumes. One of the other things that I've tried to do for a while, like uh, reading about these, these soldiers that are coming back from combat that are committing suicide at this unbelievable, really astonishing rate of you know, 30, 40, 50 people a day, I was trying to find some way that I, I actually had reached out to NAMI in a number of ways. And I went right to the top of the organization. It took me a while. But I was saying, look, you got to start you know, building something like an inner own voice. I did find out, though, ultimately, that larger forces have worked their way through the organization, and they they are working in tandem with the military now. So I'm really pleased to hear that this is going on. I mean, one of the things I was on a personal quest to do was to try to reach what they call the, the veteran living in the basement. You know, somebody who was like so so traumatized by what he's seen that he can't function he can't work and he just lives in his parents basement and you know and i said the only the best way to reach these kind of people is to go to all the therapists on staten Island, which i did and i introduced them to nami i, I got i gave I sent that literature i called them all and, and introduced myself and told them what i'm doing I sent them all literature and i tried to reach out to the clergy on staten Island. it was another project that i engaged in it was about 150 people in the phone book and i actually went to some of the churches A lot of these very big churches have a lot of gatekeepers, so it was impossible to get through to some of them. So I tried to reach out to the clergy on Staten Island and send them literature. To date, I haven't seen any veterans show up at our meetings, unfortunately, but I'm hoping that at some point it'll happen. I mean, these people really need attention, you know, like uh, therapeutic attention and desperately. So... You know, maybe if this podcast has any effect, I hope that it can reach this bunch of people and tell them, look, there's hope for you, you know? I mean, if anything, just getting to that, too, is that doing this project and getting on the air is really a message of hope to people living with a mental illness. If you feel really that bad about yourself, you can get over it. I mean, I've I've been in some pretty awful places in my head. Mental illness is a pretty serious business. There are places that you can get help and feel better. So that that's my message of hope to people. It's worked for me and it can work for other people too. I've seen the miracles of uh, these rooms and also of uh, therapy and uh, medication, so um, I'm a big advocate for these uh, for these therapeutic modalities. I've got four kids, one is married and living in uh, Maryland and uh, he's doing fairly well, his wife is a lawyer, and uh, the two of them, you know, they're, they're paying their bills, I'm very happy for them, and, and I know she loves them a lot so that they have a good relationship. And my older daughter, she's doing something like a Channel Thirteen type of uh, work. She's earning her master's degree. She uh, she's in Sumatra, Indonesia, studying orangutans in the wild to see uh, why the ones in the wild live are more healthy than the ones that live in captivity. They're studying the kind of things that they eat and their habits and stuff. And she just did a presentation that that was broadcast on Skype that I watched the other day with the people in France. She, she was going through a program through um, partially in America, partially in France, and then. Uh, out in the jungle where she was, so this was broadcast to France and to the United States at the same time. It was pretty cool, and she was speaking in French to the people in France, so that was pretty cool. And then I got a, a younger son; he's around 24, got his degree. I've been trying to get him to realize that he could do a lot better than he's doing. He's working these part-time jobs. I mean, all of it. And my wife is saying, "Look, his friends are all doing the same thing; they're not re-. And he's a good kid, so you know, I know eventually he'll get around to doing this. And my, I got a 15-year-old daughter who goes to LaGuardia. She's She's, uh, she's a trumpet player. Her ambition is to become a music teacher. And uh, I think her going to LaGuardia is pretty cool because it's got kids from all five boroughs, all different ethnicities and backgrounds. And you know, one of the really cool things, I think, for her as a 15-year-old going into the city every day is that she's got friends who live in the city, and they take her to all these noteworthy spots around the city. So that's really cool. I mean, as a young person, she's getting all this exposure, which I'm really delighted about. So, like I said, I got a lot of blessings, and my wife—you know, she, she, you know, she has put up with me all these years. So, it's kind of like, you know, where that's at. You're listening to the NPO Media podcast. Oh, I would like to ask you guys to please subscribe and to please join us next time.